Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Hey, everyone. This is Todd LaTorre from Queensryche, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I'm Bruce. And I am alive. I'm Chris. <laughs> Dude, I was listening to some of your other ones the other day while I was editing. You're fucked up. I am fucked up, yeah. Anyway, today we've got a great show for you. We've got Todd LaTorre from Queensryche. I know I'm totally stoked as a massive fan and a personal friend. It's going to be great. Oh, I'm stoked. I can't wait. I saw some video that, that uh, one of our mutual friends posted a little while ago from one of their shows in Florida. He was backstage. I don't know if he was doing sound at the venue or what was going on, but fuck, they sounded good. Yeah. One of my favorites. So let's get him online and see what he's got to say. All right. Did you take care of the mice? Or are you still dealing with that? Oh, fuck. I don't want to fucking talk about it. My, let's not talk about mice. On, let's... on Friday, dude, check this out. On Friday, I'm, uh, I'm out shopping. It's about four o'clock and, Tanner had just gone. Tanner has Cushing's disease, so mm-hmm. he has to stay on these pills, which means he has to get really expensive blood work done every few months to make sure that the levels are still okay. Right. And um, so I got a call on Friday because he did his test on Tuesday. I got a call on Friday. You got to bring him in right now. We need to do more blood work and we need a urine sample. Get him here now. And I was just like, holy fuck, what's wrong? Oh, my God. So I rush him in. They get blood. They're like, we don't know what's wrong, but his trilostane levels, which is the pill he takes, are way too high, and it's he's in severe danger. You have to stop everything right now. And I was just like, oh, wow, okay, sure. So I stop it, and he he was pretty good over the weekend, but then the Cushing symptoms really started to come in on Monday and Tuesday, and yesterday. Oh, dude, it was so painful. He was just crying. All day, like loud, oh, really? loudly crying, because he's he it's he has so much adrenaline in his system, but his body is too messed up for him to even deal with it. So we spent the whole day in the backyard. He wouldn't go for a walk because he's too scared to leave the house when he's like this. Oh, really? So we spent the whole day in the backyard, just wandering around, wandering oh, and man. wandering, crying, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is brutal." Then I come in. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is that mouse shit on the floor? And then I go and I look behind the, the ottoman there, and all of his pills had been taken back there, and there's mouse shit and piss back there. And then I saw it everywhere else, and I was just like, oh, fuck. Really? Yeah. Oh, that we, sucks, we, we had mice a few weeks, like about a month ago. Yeah, I remember you telling me. I thought that was all done. It was, because it, it, they were coming from the neighbor's place, and they... I talked to the pest control guy and he's like, Oh, it's coming from here for sure. Because I just worked on their place and they have holes and mice shit all over their garage. And I told them they have to clean up their stuff and I did everything I can. And then we just never saw it again. But recently they, they always leave their garage door open 
and they do a lot of like agricultural work. They have like, uh, I call them the farmers mm -hmm. because their backyard is just a farm, really. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's just, oh, what, no. it's just what they do. They're growing squash and peppers, right. but they take all of their stuff and throw it in the garage and then they leave the door open. So it just rots there in the garage. Oh, nice. So the mice get in. So I guess more mice got in and, and now I'm like, fuck, the, there's no way I can stop it unless I rip out the, the, the wall that connects the whole house to the neighbor's house and find out the hole where they're getting in. <laughs> like wow. We, 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 we plugged everything with steel wool and they're still coming through. I don't know where they're coming. That sucks. But because I know they like Tanner's little pill pockets, what I did today is I they 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 are fucking tricky, man. They're avoiding all the regular traps. Mm -hmm. So I bought the sticky traps, and I created this fucking square, and the pill pockets in the middle at the back. But in order to get to it, they have to go over three or four sticky traps. <laughs> you're fucking, you're so you're like going a, down. You're like a sadistic mouse hunter. Oh fuck! I'm pissed. Nice. Anywho, so we got uh, Queensryche. Who's the yeah, guy from we got, Queensryche? Yeah, Todd. What's his last name? Latori. Todd La... L-A-T-O-R-R-E. Is it Latori? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm friends with him from back when I lived in Florida, before he was in uh, Queensryche. Oh, wow. Oh, and before he was in Crimson Glory, he was just like a, you know, a local drummer and a, like a, he had his own upholstery business. Wow. This is cool, man. He's from Florida. What's the deal with Florida? Why is Florida so big with metal? Not sure. I mean, I know like the center of the state has that whole death metal thing. But even like where I'm from down in Tampa and St. Pete, you had all like Sabotage and a lot of Queensryche and a lot of those bigger bands come out of there. Pretty crazy. Queensryche was from Florida? They're from Seattle, okay. but he's from so yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Don't yeah, get yeah. so fucking technical. <laughs> hey, I was the one that thought fucking uh, that one guy was from Vancouver. He's fucking from Dallas, so you know. <laughs> On a side note, let me tell you a couple stories. Okay. So the first story is, as you know, we're made blabbermouth again, which I'm totally stoked about. That is fucking rad. Which, without even me sending them anything, I just kind of got it out quick, and I was like, shit. My buddy Dale, who's one of our few listeners, he sent me a text yesterday. He's like, dude, you made it again. Yeah, that's huge. That means we're becoming something. Maybe we'll get to four listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. But either way, I'm I'm stoked. And, you know, I get like a woody every time I see that we're in blabbermouth. So. Oh, it's huge. It's massive. Yeah. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> oh, you weren't talking about my woody. You were talking about being in blabbermouth. <laughs> okay. On another that's side. That's the word on the street. On another side note, did you see that fucking 70,000 tons of metal announced Devin Townsend yesterday? Yeah, weren't we just talking about him? Holy fuck. That is a huge fucking announcement, man. Yeah, I like that one. And I also like Flotsam and Jetsam, too. Two good ones in a row. Yeah, I don't yeah. know Flotsam and Jetsam. The only thing I know about them is that uh, that's where uh, the bass player for Metallica came from. What's his name? Uh, Jason Newstead. Uh, yeah, Jason Newstead. Actually, a really good band, and their new album has been in my regular rotation here for a little bit. Really good stuff. I'll have to check it out. I will have to check it out because... And then, so the next story is I was in class the other day. After class, I just stopped to talk to my professor, who is a metalhead, and is, I told you, we had this weird conversation one day after class, but he's like, dude, I've been listening to your stuff, and you guys sound really professional and so casual. I really like it. 
Oh, that's like, awesome. That's totally what we're going for. That's beautiful. Did you tell them we're studying the world religion of heavy metal? <laughs> and and the philosophy of metal. Yeah. The next topic we will be studying is heavy metal culture. <laughs> Why ancient, does it exist? Ancient Mediterranean uh, metal religions or something. He's probably going to listen to this, so he's going to get yeah. a kick out of it. Or give me an F, I don't know, yeah. one or the other. Where does heavy metal come from? Let's trace our roots. <laughs> to go back, we must find Sam Dunn. <laughs> yep. So they, I thought that was all pretty cool. And that's pretty much all I got. What have you been listening to? Oh, geez. Um, I watched The Voice. Oh, that's nice. Well, oh, I'm hearing myself in the speakers. Nothing changed. That's weird. What have I been listening to? My God. Uh, to be honest, just the new song I'm working on. Um, I haven't been listening to anything else. Uh, no time. Oh, wow. I've been listening to that new freaking Norma Jean. Good gracious, man. I got to hear it. I, okay, I'll put it on my list right now. It's on my mental list to listen to it after we're done this podcast. Oh, if you get a chance, put on If Loss, Then Leader. I know it sounds fucked up. Great. I can't wait to check it out. I need some more um, more stuff. I've been mixing and, and working on my own stuff, so I've been kind of out of the loop on metal, you know? Yeah, I would say that one or the new um, Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, you know, you're a big fan of that band. I just, I can't quite get into it. I understand that they're good. I understand why people like it. It's just not really for me. No, too different? Um, I don't know if it's different that bothers me. It just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It just kind of reminds me of, uh, like, every song I've heard anyways. I'm like, fuck, the band is so tight. But the singer reminds me of like Blink-182 or something. It's just... Maybe. It just doesn't really jive with me. I totally dig them. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can have our differences, Gojira. I mean, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) Gojira. But I'll check out uh, The Devil Yeah, check out Norma Jean. It's called... Yeah, the new record is called All Hail. So any songs off it, really, but... Okay, I'll check it out as soon as this is over because uh, I know Colin's getting tired of uh, hearing me talk about it. So, because <laughs> I'm like that, I find something I love and then I'll play it to death. Hello, I'm just that though. Hey, Chris, meet Todd. Todd, Chris. Hey, Todd, What's nice to meet on? you, man. I like the, what is that? An Explorer in the back? Uh no, it's a Ibanez DT350. It's like the Ibanez okay. Explorer. It's, yeah, it's the, the the Destroyer. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's they only made this guitar for like a year. Yeah, it's the DT five fifty five three fifty. Oh, three fifty. Yeah, it was only it was only made between eighty four and eighty five. I'll I'll show That's, it to you. One sec, I'll grab it. Yeah, I like that. Eeks. <laughs> you still playing a lot, Todd? Yeah, when I can. I yeah, can that's that. sweet. Oh, that's like. Uh, that's kind of like I don't know if he can hear me. Hold on. Sorry, what's that? That's that's kind of like the um the star. Yeah. Yeah, that's more like the ESP star or the Jackson uh, star. That's not like the uh, the Explorer or the Destroyer. That's different. Yeah, that's that's sweet. Yeah, it's a nice guitar. It was actually given to me, believe it or not. Wow, that's really that's really pretty. I like that. It's a collector's item. 
So I know it's sweet. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm. I'm about ready to swap the pickups in it, though. I, th- I think. Yeah, I'm that's. Gonna, a, I, I think I'm gonna put the Petrucci pickups in here. It's just a badass guitar. Yeah. It's and nice. then I'm looking at. I'm looking at, at Bruce's wall. <laughs> I don't know. Oh yeah! Don't even ask. I don't know what that is. That's my son's Aria Pro. Remember those? Well, yeah. So what's going on, dude? Not much. You doing all right? It's been a long time. Vader, yeah. hush. That's my dog. <laughs> been a long time, huh? Yeah, dude. Just, uh, you know, plugging away. Always, you know, always on the road. And I'm finally home, which is nice. You know, I'll never, never get a chance to just be home. And slept in, took a shower. Going to go see my mom later. You know, probably hand out candy with her to the kids or whatever. Nice. Yeah. You're not really home for long though, right? You guys are back out on the road. I saw like in two weeks or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually leave November 8th. Um, I'm going to see my wife. She's in Greece uh, for, for a little while. So um, I'll see her and my in-laws for, you know, five days before the tour kicks off. That'll be three weeks uh, in Europe. And then I come home for, a day and a half, two days, and then another three in a row. And it's pretty busy until uh, the last show of the year is December 21st. I'll fly back home the 22nd, do Christmas, New Year's, and then uh, the Seattle guys will fly to Tampa probably around January 9th-ish, and we'll do some rehearsals and then another six-week ground tour. So, yeah, I got a, got a lot of touring. I've been home for about – well, the total time I, I will have been home would be about two, two and a half weeks. So I'm, um, you know, washing cars, painting trim, doing yard work. <laughs> Rockstar life. Oh, yeah. You know. So. <laughs> How many shows but do you I live in a I live in a super tiny bungalow um, that I bought when I was 21 years old. So it's. You know, even a tiny, small house, it's just, it's never ending. There's always something that needs to be fixed. And, you know, it's like, I can't imagine having like some big ass house and, and, you know, the upkeep of, you know, I'm not home that much. So having a a small place is definitely much more ideal. How many shows Um, a year are you guys doing right now? About a hundred. Holy shit. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Cause you got to put factor in travel and days off and my god yeah yeah even if you're you know so we will have done two european tours i think four weeks was the first run this will be three weeks of shows with only four days off and those are primarily travel days and then we do usually one to two ground tours in the states and then we do a bunch of fly dates like one-offs or maybe two in a row so yeah, even for a one-off, if you did fifty, if you did thirty, you know, thirty to fifty fly dates a year, you know, for every one show, that's three days because you got to fly out, then play the next day, then go home. So there's three days. That's one hundred and fifty days a year. Yeah, just doing one-offs. I mean, it's it gets pretty crazy. Oh, I bet you got to be tired. How do you how do you manage to keep your voice in shape with that kind of schedule? Uh, dude, I, I, sometimes I feel like I don't, it's just, <laughs> you know, I'll be like, God, I sang like shit tonight. I'm, I'm raspy and I've been fighting this acid reflux. So I, I went and got scoped from, uh, my ENT 
And, you know, I was curious, oh, maybe I have nodes. I'm having a little more difficulty singing a couple, some different things. And he was like, no, you don't have any nodules. The vocal cords were a little thicker on the left side than the right, but I had no scar tissue that he could see, no damage. Um, but he said my throat had a lot of evidence of acid reflux. So I uh, took like a two week cycle of Nexium basically yeah, to see if that will, he said that affects your high range and just your overall quality. So hopefully, you know, that will make a difference, but you know, some days you, you do everything right and maybe it's not a great performance. And then there's other times where I didn't get any sleep. I you know, what you would think would be, you know, against the rules I've done and I've sang really well at shows. So unfortunately for me, I don't have anything that is tried and true that says, okay, this, this always works. So it's just, you know, the voice, I guess, I I guess we'll both be surprised when I get on stage. (laughs) (laughs) The human voice is such a different instrument every single day. You never know what it's going to do. You know, you all you can do yeah. is try to control it. It's yeah, it's like people are like, oh, you know, uh, you know, with guitars, you're in different climate. It just, you know, it's the, the the tuning changes, the the neck changes, and it's like you can fix that shit on yeah. with your voice. <laughs> you know, here we go. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's no there's no quick fix to those uh, constant changes of environment and and altitudes and sleeping patterns and eating time you know there's there's no set regimen that of a schedule it's it's really it's all the stuff behind the scenes that nobody sees that and then they just judge you on that performance you're like okay well we just traveled so many hours and you you didn't sleep well and you didn't eat what you wanted and i don't know you're yeah. you're you know, I anyway. just, just flew across the Atlantic Ocean. I've had one hour <laughs> of sleep. I had a screaming baby beside me. <laughs> totally. <laughs> now I got to yeah, play a like, show. Oh, this guy sounds like shit. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the songs you're tackling are no easy feat either. You know, like the, the vocal range in some of those tracks. Yeah. Is... I'm not singing Brown Eyed Girl. Nice. <laughs> 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 So what else is what's what else is up? What are you what do you want to talk about? So let's uh, let's start with uh, with you know with the band. So three what is this third album in now? Three albums in, yeah, so a little over seven years. So three albums in seven years. I don't think I've ever seen a hardcore fan base like Queensrÿche fans take to a a new edition, especially a frontman as they have to. That's got to be a pretty good feeling, right? You know, I think that we did a really good job overcoming, you know, such a huge obstacle. I mean, there's a lot of bands that have great singers that come in and, and you know, re- kind of, I don't like to use the word replace, but we'll just use it for simplicity, you know, that replace a very iconic singer in a band and, you know, whether it's Gary Sharon joining Van Halen, he's a great singer or John Karabi, who's a great singer. Like there, there are, you know, and some people think, you know, that some of the, that, that those records they did with those bands were, were amazing and, and better than even some of the, you know, earlier stuff. But, but, you know, it's, I think that 
we couldn't have asked for really a, a better outcome. I think that, um, you know, obviously music is a very personal thing to a lot of people and, and they can't just separate their biases or their emotions from the actual music they're hearing. So a lot of those biases permeate and distort a fair judgment of what you're listening to. So I've had, I have to, you know, we have to contend with that. Um, and I think by and large, we've, we've really kind of won over the majority of, of Queensryche's fan base. And, you know, I wasn't just a, a one album guy. So it, it, I think it really helps to solidify the lineup and the fact that we're still doing very good business. Um, people are really interested to hear the new material live also, which is a great thing. Um, so I, you know, I think it's been a, a great success. I mean, you're never going to please everyone, no matter, no matter what, and that's okay. But I think, uh, I think we've done a really good job and, and, and obviously thanks to people that give this band a chance without Jeff Tate, you know, I mean, I'm not that guy. So, um, I, I really couldn't ask for a, a sweeter situation to be honest. Nice. Chris. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Bruce took my question. What a, <laughs> what a guy. So yeah, you're just not, you're just not needed, I guess. I don't, I'm just a sidekick that wears glasses <laughs> and a purple shirt. I mean, fuck. With a classic DT three fifty. where do I fit right. into this? Um, so recently online, I've been seeing a lot of people uh, talk about wanting you guys to play on 70,000 tons of metal. Mm -hmm. Is there anything going on there? Um, I know <laughs> that there was a, I know that there was an offer made uh, a while back. Um, you don't have you to know. tell me. I mean, I don't care. I just people online are talking about it like, yeah. like crazy. I, I think, you know, the. Look, the way that I view this is um, I think it's great for Queensryche to play. You know, we've done a lot of the Monsters of Rock cruises. Yeah. And the, the bulk of those bands are bands like Kicks and Faster Pussycat and, you know, kind of that genre, the if you will. Metal. Sure. And, 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 and I think that there's a fan base that – um, that Queensryche can play to on that ship. Now we just did the Megadeth cruise. Oh, how was with, that? It was great with, you know, uh, Overkill and Metal Church and Anthrax and Testament and, you know, some of my favorite bands on the planet. And, you know, we were, you know, kind of, I would say the least quote heavy in that sense band. But I think that that was really cool because, you know, you're going with all this super pretty heavy stuff to a band. You know, we ha we're heavy in our own way. Um, but I think that even Queensryche still has a pretty wide demographic and we're able to to pull off a, a playing among a, a lineup like that. Now, the 70,000 tons is certainly a much heavier um, cruise, but there, there's also politics involved with, you know, this guy, you know, runs th these cruises, and if you go to this other thing, right. you know that that can cause some, you know, some some ripples, and that might not be 
very favorable. But at the same time, as just a music person, it's like we're all just trying to work. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know why it matters if we play this cruise or that cruise or this, you know, whatever. Like, you know, so there, there, there's definitely some behind the scenes politics that happens, um, you know. But, uh, you know, I think that and I've never been on the 70,000 tons. I have a lot of friends that have played it that have gone as just music lovers that aren't aren't in the bands playing. It sounds like a lot of fun. You know, I mean, maybe in the future we'll get to do it personally. I have no problem playing that that cruise. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we've done a lot of cruises with the same owner uh, that runs the kiss cruise and the mega death cruise and, yeah. and the monsters. And we did the, we did the, uh, yes cruise, the cruise to the edge, which was really cool. So, Man, you know, you kind of have to take all of those variables into consideration and say, well, we, we've done a lot of cruises with this one camp. If we do one with the other, th- does that rule out, you know, the, the three or four or five other potential cruises. And so you have to think long-term. And so there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but, I think it's great if there's if there's talk about uh, people taking interest in, in Queen Drake playing that cruise. I mean, it, I, it's just fans that I'm seeing. You know, they're like, oh, we we. It love- would be cool. Yeah. What was it yeah, like? I mean, so I, you were on the Mega Cruise, right? Like the yeah. the Megadeth one. What was mm-hmm. it like hanging out with all those people all the time? Uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun. You know, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of the bands that are on that ship anyway. Um, but to have them all in one location is really cool. You know, I mean, I'm friends with the uh, Testament and, you know, um, a couple of the anthrax guys, you know, I'm friends with, uh, I'm friends with all of the guys at metal church. I went up and sang fake healer with metal church. Nice. And then, um, oh, nice. Dave, Dave Ellison called me, and he has another band called Altitudes and Attitudes with Frank Bello from Anthrax, where Frank plays guitar and sings. So he called me and said, hey, you know, could you learn like four of our songs on drums and play during one of this, this these jams that are going on? And so I thought that was cool. So I got to play on stage with Frank and Dave Ellison. And, you know, I was a, a, a fan in, you know, in the front front row actually the photo pit of testaments one of their full shows um i i got to play drums and jam with uh alice cooper's daughter calico and uh chuck garrick who's alice cooper's bass player they have a band called bisto blanco so you know i it was cool to wear a couple different hats and you know you're you're eating dinner and you know you, you go over and chat with chuck billy at testament and <laughs> these are ba- these are guys that you know when, when we tour the festival circuit in Europe, you know, we cross pads a lot because we play the same festivals. So, you know, Chuck and I are our buddies and me and Alex Skolnick are friends and, you know, Gene Hoagland. So I, I'm in with all those guys quite well. And it, it's fun for me, you know, uh, because I'm a huge fan of their work. And now I get to know them as people and they're really great people. So it's... Uh, it's pretty awesome, you know. It's it's sometimes I have to pinch myself <laughs> remembering, right. you know, the 16-year-old kid, you know, driving to you know, the Lakeland Civic Center to see the, you know, the the New Order tour or practice what you preach or Souls of Black and, you know, 
And then, you know, I get a Chuck a text from Chuck Billy when we toured with the Scorpions going, hey, dude, I'm at your show tonight. Let's let's try to say hi, you know, tonight. And, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. You know, so things, stuff like that is that, pretty it's pretty awesome. That goes in the category of things you never saw coming. <laughs> I know. Right? Yeah, it's 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 pretty surreal. But um, were you were you, you know, what? I knew, I've heard a lot of stuff about the Mega Cruise where they were playing on shore one day and they had to shut down everything on the pool deck and move it inside. Yeah. So we were, we were, um, at a port. We were at, I think it was in San Diego and John five was playing, um, out on the pool deck, which is awesome. I mean, both of our shows were, were at the pool stage and, I guess there was some kind of weird noise thing, you know, issue. And so they had to stop his show. Apparently he very quickly went down into one of the other venues on the ship and picked back up and continued his show. Wow. Uh, But yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty crazy. You know, I'm thinking, wow, didn't, didn't they know that this, could happen or be an issue like, but he pulled, he pulled it off and, uh, finished the show in one of the other venues on the ship. And, you know, I guess it, you know, made a bad situation and turned it into a good thing again. And so, a, and a good memory too. Like you can actually say, man, remember that time I saw this guy, he got shut down he moved everything inside <laughs> and kept going and yeah. it still rocked. It's- and I don't, I don't know John five, but he's going to be, uh, a direct support for us on our ground tour mid January for six weeks. So that'll be a good chance to get to know him and see him do a full, a full show every night. You know, he's super talented and um, I hear he's a really great guy. So I'm looking forward to, you know, kind of building that relationship with him and uh, you know, doing a tour together. That's, That's cool. sweet. When you first joined Queensryche, what was it like for you? Like, because you're obviously stepping into a project. Did you know them before you joined or did you audition? How did, how did that co- all come about? Well, I'm glad that you did your homework. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> no, you have to understand. The reason I do this podcast is that uh, <laughs> you can fuck with me all you want. Bruce does all the time. <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of new to metal. So I do this podcast to learn more about things sure. that are going on absolutely i'm just busting your chops please do anytime um bust <laughs> away so uh, enough about you let's talk about me what do you think about me well um, I, I saw a video oh. that rory posted uh when was that like you played sometime in florida a little while ago i was fucking blown away by how good you sounded well i appreciate that you know look Queensryche was a was a huge influence on me uh, as a, as I think I was about 14 when I learned of them, my sister had a boyfriend who I really looked up to. Um, he was a drummer, great drummer. And, you know, he, he ended up giving me like the mind crime cassette. And I was like, he's like, you know, I know you like Iron Maiden with these kind of operatic vocals. Check these guys out. They're called Queensryche. And he didn't know them from the beginning. So he learned of them like, when they were getting MTV videos like Eyes of a Stranger and whatnot. So that was like my discovery of them. And then I went to 
like Specs music back in the day. And I was like looking for Queensryche. And the only thing they had there in the bin was for under their name was the warning album. So I bought that. And then I just, that that's my, still my favorite Queensryche record. I Me love too. that. That's great. No so, offense, but yeah. So as a drummer, you know, I mean, I, lo- I wasn't a quote singer, you know, I was just a drummer. And so I loved the songs and the singing and that that's what pulled me in. But as a drummer, I really started to learn that kind of stuff and study, you know, this was before the Internet and YouTube. And so you had to really listen and go, OK, I think there's three rack toms and maybe two floor toms and there's a crash here and here. And so you're kind of visualizing the drum set with your headphones on. And you start learning to play the parts that you think are how they go. And so they were one of my all-time favorite bands, Queensryche, Iron Maiden, Striper, Dokken. You know, those were like my bands. And so um, so when I, you know, fast forward 30 years later, whatever it was, 20, I don't know, from 15 to when I joined the band, I was in my late 30s. Um you know, I, I I already knew everything pretty much up into up to Empire. After Empire, I kind of lost interest in the band. Um, I was still very much into you know Dio and Testament and Overkill and more thrash Slayer and more thrashy stuff. And the band's direction seemed to get more into the adult contemporary style and. You know, it was just something I wasn't really gravitating toward. Uh, So I didn't know anything that they had done in the last 15 years other than I did buy like Tribe and there were some songs on there that I liked. And but overall, you know, they weren't full albums that I was really embracing anymore. So when I got it, when I got to do something with the band, they were like, well, you know, it's easier to ask you what you know and what you like. And I said, well, listen, as a fan, you know, these are the songs I think your fans want to listen to or want to hear live. And it was Queen of the Reich. And, you know, if you're not into metal, some of these titles, probably you won't know what they are. But these are classic Queensryche songs that are deep cuts off of the earlier works of the band. Um, So, yes, I was very familiar, beyond familiar with the songs um, and it just kind of was a seamless transition when I got, when I started doing stuff with these guys. That's awesome, man. What a, what an awesome experience. And now it's the way you make your living. How can you complain about that? I know. I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, I, I do kind of bitch and moan about the travel and, you know, gosh, I'm singing 21 nights out of 24 days. Like, come on, you know, my, I'm tired. You know, but but at the same time, it's like, you know, I get to travel. I get to I've made some really great friends. Um, I get to do what I love and create music. And, you know, when I'm home, it's like today. I mean, it's quality time now when I'm actually home. So like like anything, I mean, you know, everything has its its pros and cons, but you know, there, I remember. I remember distinctly. I don't even think I've shared the story with anyone. Um, I went to see my neighbor across the street is a very talented guitar player, and and uh, we went to see 
this is before I was in Crimson Glory. Also, Bruce, we went to see at the uh, at the amphitheater here in Tampa. It was like I think Poison was the headliner, which I I was never really into that style. Yeah. But uh, Dawkin was playing and Sebastian Bach was opening, and so we thought it would be fun to go to a concert because I don't really go to very many concerts anymore, even back then. And so we went, and I remember standing, you know, with everybody in the crowd and watching, you know, like my favorite Dawkins songs and watching Sebastian play the Skid Row classics and whatnot. And, and for the first time, there was a part of me that felt envy. And I'm, n- I'm not a jealous kind of a guy. I'm not, I'm not an envious person. Like, I can be very, I'm very happy for people's successes. And I, I don't ever think like, Oh, I wish I had that. I, I, I just, I'm very content with my life. And, but I remember feeling like really kind of ripped off. Like, you know, I'm a drummer. I, I can sing. I, I felt, I remember saying to my neighbor, like, dude, I belong on that stage. And this, this, this sucks, you know, like I'm just not, not, I just felt like just another body in the audience when I, I felt like I, I was so much more than just a, a, a listener. You know, there's great people and great fans of music that don't actually play, but they have such a passion for the music. And here I was a passionate fan that also was a musician that felt like I had something to offer the music world and nobody knew who I was. I was never going to be able to, to share any of that. And I, I remember feeling really kind of ripped off in life and like, what was me? And I, you know, that kind of thing. And so, so now that, uh, now that I get to do this, I, I feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know if vindicated is the right word. Cause that kind of comes with a negative premise, but I right. feel like, I feel like, okay, finally, like I, I got to do I got to do this. And I think it's a really good testament to this genre uh, that somebody can can quote make it if whatever that means. But in this this context, that's what it means is is getting, you know, I don't like the word fame at all. I like the word notoriety, getting some, uh, you know, some viewership, if you will, Um, and so I, I don't think that in, in the, the pop world or maybe country, but I think rock is, is kind of one of those genres where, you know, you don't have to be 18 and pretty. You can still be an older person and, you know, with thinning hair and it doesn't matter or bald. It doesn't even matter. Like as long as you've got the skills and the attitude and whatever, you know, I think it was a really good testament that, that this genre and the, and the, the metal rock metal community can still embrace a, an unknown person, you know, per se, uh, and still be able to, to do great things. And yeah, this is, this is how I earn a living now. So I, you know, I, I very much have been, have experienced both sides of the fence, um, to where I, I think I have a little different appreciation than for some of these artists that, made it big in their late teens and early twenties. And they don't know anything different that this is, that's all they've ever done, which seems pretty awesome. But I think it's certainly a unique perspective for, for those of us that 
that didn't make it in the glory days and, and you're finally get to, to do it now. Um, I, I really value the opportunity um, and this ride, you know, it kind of worries me like, well, shit, what's going to happen to me when these guys are, you know, decide to hang it up or what, what does that mean for me? I got to start my life all over again when I'm in my fifties, you know, like, right. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but the guys are in very good health. They're super passionate and hungry to still write and record music and tour so I don't see this slowing down anytime soon. I mean, I could see easily these guys doing this for another decade. Awesome. That, that was going to bring up my next question, because I know like with bands like Slayer and everybody calling it a day, do you think you guys still have some time in you? But I guess you kind of answered that at well, least. Uh, let, let's, let's also add a throw in the variable and put some perspective on that. Slayer is making millions of dollars. Right. You know, I mean, they're making exponentially more than what we make and what most bands make. So, yeah, you know, if I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll play for a million bucks a night and do that for a year and maybe I'll fucking right. you know, take, take vacation, too. So it, it certainly, you know, makes a difference when you're, you know, Iron Maiden and you're you're I'm sure that their guarantees are one to one point four a night. And you're doing some of these bands are doing almost a million dollars a night in merch. Right. It doesn't suck, you know, but we're a band that we, we, we earn a good living, but you know, we, we have to work like 99.9% of every other band out there. Right. Oh, yeah. The first time I saw Queens Rick, I saw the empire tour in Edmonton, Alberta with the huge elaborate stage show that they had. And Oh Yeah. It was crazy. They had the basketball yeah, net on the stage and all kinds of stuff. Queen Queensryche was, you know, was selling out arenas for a few years, I think. You know, they, they had a good good little run with selling out those kind of uh, venues, and it was huge. Um, you know, I I can only imagine, you know, what that was like from a, from a touring perspective and – um, and from a financial perspective, but, you know, I think it's also a, a, a telling testament that, you know, we're, we're probably a thousand to any, you know, a thousand to 1500 a night, um, occupancy, you know, we play house of blues, we play theaters, but you know, we're not selling arenas and, and that kind of thing. And I think that the fact that, certainly for the original guys in the band, the fact that they're still hungry, that I think that would be very hard to go from this band that's climbing and climbing and climbing, and then you're, nom you're nominated for Grammys, and, and you're, you're selling out arenas, and you've played with Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Ozzy. They've toured with the biggest. To, to then be like, okay, we're playing you know, a, 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 a club in a strip plaza. Like that's just every, that's so many bands. And the fact that they right. still, they still put their best foot forward and have done, you know, you take the good with the bad. The fact that they're still so excited and passionate about it really tells you that these guys are in it for the love of the craft and performing and creating, not just, well, we're not selling arenas and making millions of dollars like before. 
I think that's a testament that they're really in it for the for the the the, the artistry of it. So inspirational, man. So inspirational, because yeah. you know, like I don't know if Queensbridge is coming through DC anytime soon, but like it's something that I've been dying to see ever since uh, Rory posted that video. He was side stage or something. And I was just like, holy fuck, this band sounds unbelievable. It made me want Thanks. made me want yeah. to go to that show. So Well, that's a nice that's a nice thing for you to say. And it's I, you know, everyone in the band, you know, if they hear this 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 interview when it's done, will would certainly be very thankful for that kind of a comment. I mean, uh, you know, we're I think we're putting on really good shows live and I'm doing my best to sing the songs um, as they were recorded. You know, we're not down tuning any of the material that we're playing them in the, in the, in the tunings that they were recorded in and trying to really stay true to that. I do put a little twist on some things of my own, but overall, you know, I, I, I think that that seems to be a pretty common um, thing to hear which is awesome is, you know, yeah. wow, the band looks like they're having fun. They sound like they're having fun. They're really delivering. It doesn't sound like they're just going through the motions and it's just paint by numbers. I mean, we're really putting everything we have into each performance and the new, the new material as well. You know, it's, it's Queensryche today, um, but right. still honoring the legacy. So, you know, in the live show, about 50% of the set list is the material of my era with the band. And then we have some deep cuts from some of the classic stuff. And then we have some of the very popular hits that one would expect to hear um, sure. at a live show. So I've got one more for you and then I'll let you go. I know we've kept you pretty long here, but Dude, um, it's all good. Whatever. I'm, I'm not, I'm, we're fine. I've heard the new stuff with uh, Michael Sweet, and as a fan growing up, like you mentioned, as a fan of Michael Sweet, to actually be in the studio doing that stuff, what was that like, and how did that come about? So yeah, so Michael, um, you know, I'm a I'm a huge Striper fan, um, and he called me and said, "Hey, um, you know, I, I'm doing a solo record. I've got." Um, I've got a track that I would love to have you sing on with me. It'll be like a duet. And I was like, yeah, that'd be amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so he sent me, he sent me, so I didn't record in the studio with him. I have my own studio. Okay. He, he lives in the, the Boston area and I'm in Florida and with our touring schedules and whatnot. So he sent me the track. And then we had a phone conversation going over the phrasing and how he wanted it to be sung. And uh, I had a couple ideas that I changed. Um, you know, I said, hey, you know, what do you think about this idea? And he's like, wow, I, I love that, you know. So it was just like some minor tweaks to what he had. But they were all his lyrics and all his his stuff. And so I, I recorded everything here and sent him the finished tracks of my vocals and and I said, I can't wait to hear it when it's done. And he has a great guitar player, Andy James, um, who's on it. And uh, Will Hunt, uh, who most people know as the drummer for Evanescence mm -hmm. and various session work and whatnot. He's a great drummer. So he drummed on it. Um, so, yeah, it came out really awesome. And 
you know, it, it's no secret that I'm an atheist. And when I, when I got the lyrics, <laughs> I got the lyrics, I was like, okay, this is like totally about Jesus. And is this about him coming back? Like, you know what? Right. And so I, it all kind of made sense. And I thought that's okay. You know, it's not something I believe in, but, but I love Michael and I love his music and I, you know, I, I will totally be a part of this. This is his message. It's not a message of hate. It's a message among theists of their belief. And so that's fine. I, I, I will sing this with the utmost conviction. And some people th- say, well, how do you, I mean, you don't even believe in God, much less the Christian God. How can you sing about that? Like, and I just look at it as I, I'm an actor, you know, right. it's no different than a, a, a straight person playing a gay role or a politician playing a, a, a role of a pol- politician with a worldview that doesn't jive with their own. So I said, I don't care. I'm going to sing this to the, with all my heart and passion. And so I did that. And, and, you know, he and I have complete respect for each other and, and that kind of thing. And I said to him after the fact, you know, some people had commented, well, you know, this is so great, Michael, you know, maybe now, you know, Maybe Todd will convert to to Christianity, and oh, of, course I, of course I laugh, and I just said, "Well, that's not going to happen." But but you know what I told Michael? I said, "I think it's better that I was a part of this as an atheist because a it shows tolerance, it shows that I'm I'm open minded to do this with you uh, for as an artist, you know, and it wouldn't make it, it would I think it it, it shows more like people with completely different worldviews and perspectives can still get along, be respectful and create really cool music together. And then I had to, I had to, I had to fuck with Michael a little bit. And I said, I said, cool, dude. Now the real test is, will you sing my lyrics? <laughs> you know, cause I have a, I'm doing my own solo record. I finally, have been really digging in and there's a song that's completely the antithesis of, of, of the one that I sang on. Um, although it, truth be told, I would, I really, I care so much about Michael and the optics of what his career was built around, which is basically event. He's an evangelist really, sure. uh, you know, through his music, I, I would never want him to, be in a compromising situation because look, atheists don't really care if I'm singing a song about Christ, but the Christians, in my opinion, will very much care <laughs> if he's mocking the oh, re- yeah. you know, religion or, or dogma, which is pretty much more of the way I am. I, I kind of more or less mock the, the dogma behind it. Um, but that was a really fun song. I think his record did, you know, even the first week debut, you know, I think, I think his U S debut was 52, 5,300 sales. I mean, our Queens right debut was like 8,200. So here's a solo record from a Christian artist, which is even more of a niche or niche, however you say it, you know, and, and the fact that he did those kind of numbers is like, I mean, that's damn successful. So I'm very happy for him. And I was honored to be a part of that. Um, 
it, it's pretty, pretty nuts, dude. Because, again, I was a 16-year-old kid singing the Yellow and Black Attack and in God We Trust records and all, all of the Striper records. And uh, to, to become buddies with him and to be asked, you know, uh, to be part of that is, is just it's awesome. You know, I'm so thankful. That's I, I'm not blessed because I don't believe in that, but I'm very thankful. <laughs> uh, that, that's all I've got, Todd. I appreciate you taking the time on such short notice. Dude, it's all good. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to do this, and it's, and it's nice to meet you as well. Thank you. And, you know, anytime I can carve out for you, anytime you express an interest and want to chew the fat, I'm always yours, man. And you, you've always supported me from the very beginning with Crimson Glory. And, and I, I, I'm very appreciative uh, for your friendship and your, your interest and things like that. And uh, if, if we're ever either of your guys' way on the tour, shoot me a text. We'll make sure we set you up with tickets and passes. Come see a show. Hang out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I hope that Life is treating you well, and, and everything's going good for you guys. Thank you, brother, so much. I appreciate it. Good luck with the tour. Be safe. Yeah, man. What did you think of that? What a nice guy. Isn't he great? I was just like, oh, he wants to go. And then he like kept talking about the guitars. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, fuck. If the singer from Queensryche wants to talk to me about guitars, oh, yeah. you got me all day. <laughs> I fucking, I don't understand. Like, I have all this technology that's up to date, and I can't get fucking internet anywhere. Yeah, I I don't know what to tell you, man. Even my so I went to my phone and then my phone overheated. <laughs> oh my god! But your it's working fine now. It just seems to be when yeah. we had the third one in, shit goes to shit. We'll see what happens. I've got the backup, but that was a good one, right? You know what I liked about the interview with him is that it wasn't just about him. You know, he's so open. He he wants to learn about you and like yeah. what a different experience. You know, because you're dealing with this kind of rock star guy, and really, he's just like wants to get to know people. Yep, <laughs> you know? he's a nice guy, really nice guy, really genuine. Anyway, so th if you're listening to this, thanks for doing that. <laughs> and always remember, my friends, keep it metal. Metal. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.